This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Kindness. We see it all around us. We see it when someone pays for someone else's coffee or holds the door open for another person. We see it in the smallest of gestures, like a smile or a kind word. But it's different when we turn on the news or social media. Oftentimes, what we hear about, what outlets are pushing, is the opposite of kind. Welcome to the Kindness Matters Podcast. Our goal is to give you a place to relax, to revel in stories of people who have received or given kindness, a place to inspire and motivate each and every one of us to practice kindness every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Kindness Matters Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rathbun. I have a fantastic show for you today, but first, uh, some housekeeping notes. Don't forget to check out the Deluxe Edition Network's Podcast of the Month for March. There are three of them this month. First up, Bacon is My Podcast. Hosts Mike Wanman and Jimmy G created the show after friends and fans asked what it was like to be a fly on the wall during their weekly pre-songwriting hangouts. They decided to let the cameras roll, resulting in random and often hilarious conversations over a few whiskeys, which evolved into inviting interesting guests from all forms of entertainment to find out what their bacon is. Second up, I need some creep. Two very real comedians discuss their other dark addiction, horror movies. Tune in as they talk about the genre, monsters, creators, and movies, that send tingles creeping up their spines. Welcome to your weekly dose of creep. And finally up is The Beard Laws. The Beard Laws is a show where Toby, Brandon J. McDermott, Logan, Richie, producer Zach, and special guests have free-flowing conversations, as if they were sitting around a bonfire having a beer or seven, as if they were sitting at their favorite dive bar chatting about whatever pops into their brains. Sometimes it's serious, Sometimes it's heated, but every time it's fun and you will laugh at least once during the show. And finally, whew, call me Alaska Airlines because I'm barely holding myself together. Fortunately, I got hooked up with these tropical THC gummies from Sunday Scaries. They call them the couch potatoes. Yes, they're legal. Yes, they're real. Yes, you'll get high. No, you shouldn't drive. Couch potatoes come with four tropical flavors, mango, pineapple, orange, and blue raz. They're so tasty they'll have your taste buds signing up for jury duty. Couch potatoes are ideal for boosting your happiness and relaxation by entering a mild euphoric state. Whether you had a shitty day at work, the kids are finally asleep, or you spent the weekend with the in-laws, just take one gummy and watch your stresses melt away. Get 20% off with code KINDNESS at sundayscaries.com. Afraid? Don't be. There's a 100% money-back guarantee on all purchases, so there's no buying risk. And now, let's get into the show. To start off here, I have a kind of disturbing statistic. And this comes from the Trevor Project from their 2023 survey of LGBTQIA queer youth, um, 41% of queer kids 
seriously attempted, seriously considered attempting suicide. Uh, my guest today is helping to maybe get that number down a little bit. Uh, she is the founder and CEO of Parent with Care, and I understand she may be a vice presidential nomination nominee in the 2024 election. Just kidding. I maybe we don't know. Please welcome to the show Jennifer Boudray. Thanks for coming on, Jennifer. Mike, and that would that that nomination would absolutely depend on who the uh, presidential candidate would be. <laughs> I think we know who we're stuck with. <laughs> you know what? I have nothing. Yep. Nope. We're not going to go That's there. A whole other topic. We'll talk about that another day. That is an entire another show. <laughs> um. So Jennifer, you uh, as the as the founder and CEO of Parent with Care, your role is specifically helping parents I'm going to mess this up I just know I am I want to say come to terms with their child coming out yeah. as queer It really is is, is that is that I a, mean, so I talk about helping people to overcome their misunderstanding and fear of LGBTQ identity right Yeah okay but you're you're there primarily supporting parents, correct? I do. Most of my work is supporting parents. I also do work with organizations and companies and and other folks. Uh, a lot of people in the education world, um, because we are all living in a world where seven percent of our population is queer, and there are a lot of yeah. people who don't understand. But my my focus is really truly. I my goal is to make the world safe and affirming for all people. And when I find that people, parents, especially of LGBTQ folks don't understand, I'm going to start there because it starts at home. Yeah, for sure. But now you, you didn't always, I mean, you didn't just wake up in your teens and go, I'm going to advocate for parents of queer kids. Mm. Where, uh, what, what was your journey from to here? Every time I do this, I try to make it shorter, and I'm I'm not being really successful. So take I'm as long as you need. Go with it. So a million years ago, um, I, I started having my own children, and in 1996, I was the uh, producer and host of a radio talk show called Discovering Kids in Wilmington, Delaware, and I was featuring community resources for parents and families. Um, and then I moved back to Montgomery County, Maryland, which was my hometown. And then I had three children trying to figure out like where all the things were for them to do. And so I created a resource directory called Family NetSource, which I ran for several years. And then there was this time where I realized like health insurance and regular hours were good when you had kids. So I went back to school and got a master's in library science and worked as a school librarian for nice. 17 plus years. Four of those years, I was the director of library programs for DC public schools. And then I got to a point, um, I was working, uh, my children obviously had grown and gotten older. Um, and I was working for an all girls boarding school Oh, the same as the director of library. Um, and then at the same oh, okay. time, all right. yeah, at the same time I was, um, doing a lot of advocacy work in the LGBTQ space. 
the world. Uh, my own son is um, a very proud bisexual man, and I'm also the bonus mom to a trans man. So I had been working with a local nonprofit, doing a lot of work on training and educating and advocacy. And at the same time, working in this all-girls school, I had several students who were no longer identifying as female. So I became the go-to person with all things DEI being around LGBTQ+, and got to a point where the school really couldn't, wouldn't, wasn't comfortable placing themselves, like defining what is girl. Right. So I ended okay. up in a situation where I had a group of advisees, as most you know educators do. And I had one student who was not identifying as female. And I had another student whose mother was a very, very rabid anti LGBTQ plus person. And Ouch. I just said, I can't, it, the cognitive dissonance was just too, too painful. So I stepped back and realized I wanted to do something different with the next chapter of my life. And I literally Googled, because I'm a librarian, uh, <laughs> is, chi- is parent coaching a thing, right? Because I thinking back to my entire career, everything had always been about connecting people with information and resources. That's what yeah. I've always done. Parenting. Yeah. I'm, I'm very passionate about trying to parent well, uh, knowing that I don't always, often. <laughs> who does really so always try to learn because nobody teaches us right so right. parent coaching is a thing so in in between i had also gotten a master's in uh educational leadership so as an academic i'm like i need another you know certification something so i went to the jai institute for parenting and became a certified parent coach started working as a parent coach and realized that the folks that i were, was connecting with the most and one of the greatest needs was parents whose kids were coming out who may have been or may have felt that they were allies, but didn't understand what this was or were completely shocked and taken aback by the fact that their child was now identifying as queer. Like, what is this? Yeah. Because it's one thing to say you're an ally and you can, you can have those feelings, but it's kind of different when it's your own child, isn't it? Yeah. When it comes home, it changes things. You... You, rem- <laughs> why you, no, um, why me? Uh, you impress me as one of those people, and I always admire people like this because I am not one like that, who looks around at the world and goes, what do we need? Well, we need this. Is there anybody doing that? No, there is nobody doing that. I'll do it. Is is that kind of describe how you were? I happen to have a t-shirt. I'm not wearing it today, but I have a t-shirt that says change maker. Um, And I often find myself in situations where I will stand back and, you know, throw the grenade and then watch things blow up and figure out how to help fix it. Um, Some people just want to watch the world burn. Yeah, I don't want to watch it burn. I want to fix it before it burns. Um, Right. And so, yeah, I really, I do feel like this is a part, again, you know, as, as an ally, right? I am a, a cisgender, heterosexual white woman. Uh, I can look at the world from a place of privilege and recognize that it's my job to help people who are in a marginalized scenario, um, to be able to educate and give space people, you know, the space for people to feel 
their feelings about things and explore why we have these beliefs and then you know really truly shift people to becoming enthusiastic allies yeah it it and i'm i'm probably because i am also the parent of a trans man and a gay man and you know i i say i'm an ally i do my little posting on facebook that says i'm an ally i've never been to a pride event so yet not not being like a republican in name only i i'm i'm an ally in name only ano i don't know um i love my kids and really, I mean, that's what it all boils down to, right? Absolutely. Because, And, and I want to say, not ahead. everyone, allyship is a verb, right? We, we are active allies. For some people, that is being that active, supportive ally for your child. And that can be all it is. And that is huge. Other people are going to go out and, you know, wear rainbows all the time and then and, and blow it all up everywhere. I, I am not, I'm not, you know, I, I wear a rainbow wristband on my watch, but I am not dressed top to bottom in rainbows. Um, right. And so I, don't, I want everyone, like, there is no specific way to be an ally, but I think it is in any scenario where you are, if you can stand up for whoever it is that is being targeted, whether it's in a conversation or, you know, at your kid's school there are ways to do it that are, are within your comfort level. So now do parents come to you as a coach and say, my kid is queer, or I think my kid is queer. What, what can I do? I, I'm not sure about this. You had an amazing, and I may just link, I, there'll be a link in the show notes to your website, but in your blog, you had a fantastic article and it was titled, I don't want my kid to be queer. And it was so powerful to read that. I'm, I'm guessing that was a real client. Yeah, it was. And just it, folks, if you ever wanted to know what it looks like to think your child is queer and not know where to go to for help and then to find somebody who can walk you through that and discover the steps that need to be taken, right? Because you had to go through, okay, what's your real fear? Mm -hmm. What are you really afraid of? And I'm not going to spoil the article because I think everybody should read it, but it was just fantastic. So they come to you yeah. and they say, help. Are there a lot? Yeah. You know, you figure it is, again, 7% of the population is queer. It's not um, a small amount. No. And it's, it's the, the percentages are, are greater for um, Gen Z, right? And I think one of the things that I want to make clear is it's not that all of a sudden there are all of these queer kids, right? Or that social media is making them queer. I think what's right. happening is that we have a lot more language to explain all of this. We have a lot more visibility of LGBTQ plus people in media and other spaces. So there is 
in some places, a lot more acceptance and affirmation, right? So in a lot more places, kids feel more free. And we are, as human animals, built to put things in boxes and to label things. It makes us safe, right? Makes us know how to operate in the world. And I think there are a lot of kids that are like, you know what? Hmm, I'm not really sure about those boxes. I Maybe don't I'll fit have any, any of these boxes. Maybe I'll make up my own, right? And so uh, I think there is, it's just a more of a freedom. And I, I have an analogy that uh, we get to, I'll get to when we, when we discuss, like, maybe if we get to, like, what is gender identity and how do they know? Um, but I, I think it is really important for people to, to realize this is not a new thing. It's just that we have more awareness. And unfortunately, it's become such a hot button political issue, which it should never be. Um, There's a lot more visibility about the whole topic. I know. And it it does seem that especially, okay, let's take transgenderism, for example. When I was growing up, okay, boomer, (laughs) you know, nobody... It was funny when when Tom Hanks and Peter Scolari dro- dressed up as girls to get into that apartment. Nobody batted an eye. But no. that was it was comedy and it was done for that and we didn't maybe even know anybody in our real world who and they weren't transgender. They did that for a specific person they were dressing mm-hmm. in drag. I should say that. Growing up, I didn't know anybody who was transgender. And now it seems like, and I think that's the key there, it seems like every time you turn around, somebody's coming out as another gender. Yeah. So I think it's important for folks to understand that from a psychological standpoint, kids know their own gender by about age three. Okay. That explains a lot. Yeah. Then you get a lot of messaging, right, from the world that says you're boy or girl. Um, Yes. And so kids are either going to be supported if they're they're born, if they're identified as one gender, and they believe that they are a different gender, uh, they'll either be supported in that or not, right? They might vocalize it or they might not. And so there is a lot of social conditioning. And I want to give an example. This is one of one of my stories that I repeat. So if people have heard me other other places, they will have heard this. Um, But as I mentioned, I have and the mom bonus mom to a transgender man. And uh, first of all, he did not transition and start his transition until I think age 26. Yeah, because he honestly didn't know that it was an option. Right. So. He's now 35, um, 34, 35, and is married, and his wife, uh, and he have a child, and his wife is a cisgender woman, and when she was pregnant, she came back with the sonogram one day, and he was so excited to say, it's a boy! And my immediate response was, is it? Because (laughs) even (laughs) as a transgender man, he was automatically like, penis means boy. And I think of all people, you know, that that doesn't necessarily mean. And I think this is where, you know, we have to get into a little bit of the definition, I think, of where gender identity versus sexual identity, right? So sexual identity is 
what the doctor declares. It is what is, you know, what we see the genitalia and what, you know, if they, if they do anything further and looking at chromosomes and all of that, that's your sexual identity. That is what you were assigned at birth. Your gender identity is who you know yourself to be. And, And Mike, this is where I will ask, you know, the question I ask when I'm explaining this is, are you, Mike, are you left-handed or right-handed? We'll be right back with more of my conversation with Jennifer Boudray after this message from another Deluxe Edition Network podcast. Take it away, guys. Face it, dating sucked in your 20s, gets worse in your 30s, and your 40s, forget it. It's a cesspool out there, and we're your flotation device. Join us weekly for saucy chat, ridiculous love gurus, and MILF-worthy fun to spice up your life. The MILF MILF and and Me Podcast. Podcast. Every Wednesday on your favorite pod platform. And the MILFandMePod.com. The MILF MILF and and Me Podcast. Podcast. I'm right-handed. How do you know? Because I've always used my right hand. It's just what comes naturally, right? I can't write legibly with my left hand. You can't. It would feel really weird if I insisted. If you broke your right arm, you would feel really strange trying to write with your left hand. Yeah. It is that innate sense. You know yourself to be right-handed because it feels right. Gender Hmm. identity is the same. I know myself to be a cisgender woman. I know myself to be female. And I am. Yeah. But if if I wasn't sure, if I felt very sure that I was either non-binary or that I was male, I would have to make a decision of whether or not I'm going to share that with anyone or what does that mean? There's a whole process of coming to terms with that. Yeah. I, I, I guess I don't know my transgender son's journey. I mean, I do, obviously I was there for part of it, but I think a lot of it was hidden from me. Um, I remember he hated to have his hair messed with because in his former life, he would have to brush the hair every day or, you know, here, put on this dress, look cute, look like something that you're not, basically, is what it boiled down to. And he never really expressed that to me until the day he came out. And he was 21 when he came out. Yeah, and he may not have had the language. I have a, a good friend who came out, um, who decided to transition at age 55. Oh my goodness. As a transgender female, she now looks back at her entire life and it was like, oh, well, duh, right? Duh. It was there. We just weren't paying attention. And All the that's signs where I talk were there. about that social conditioning. And I, and when working with parents, it's, it's really, it's, it's again, the messaging that we give our kids. And I always talk about, I always start out with working with intrinsic bias. Like what are the beliefs that we have that we aren't even aware we have? And when my son, my, my, my bi guy um, was growing up, he knew, you know, I'm, I'm of that era of pick a team, right? You're either gay or straight. I don't care what you are. You're fine. Love y'all. Um, and he had that messaging on forever. And when he was 19, he came out in an article or an op-ed for his college newspaper, um, in response to being called the F slur, um, on campus. And in that article, he came out as bisexual. And I was like, Oh, what? I, I don't know what that is. Right. He's now 27. So clearly I've done some work and done some research and learning and, and now I completely understand it. Um, but right. we were talking just a few months ago about 
his his coming out story and he said, you know, he explained to me that that messaging that he had gotten from me forever of boy, girl, you know, pick a team, um, you know, straight or gay, caused him to deny his bisexuality to himself and to me for a very long time. And that, right. so, you know, again, even somebody who I considered myself an ally forever still had a lot of learning to do and still has to go back and repair some of the damage. Yeah, I, uh, I, and I've told this story and I've told it on air before and I may end up cutting this out, but when my son came out as trans to me, um, it was in the fall of 2015 and I had lost, my mother had passed away in April of that year. And I said, probably one of the most hateful things you could say to somebody in his situation, I said, well, first of all, I said, I love you, which is a good first step. And then I completely trashed it when I said, great, now I've lost my mother and my daughter. Ooh, and even ouch. now saying it, it's just like, I kind of want yeah, you know. Um, and I apologize later, obviously, and but I, I think it still sticks with him. We make mistakes. And I know it was a mistake and I've apologized for it, but. Yeah, but you're a it's human out being. There. It huh? is. You're a human. And this is, yeah. you know, yeah. it is never, ever, ever too late to repair. Um, right. You, the other person may not accept it, but you can always go back and explain, you know, it's, it's my Angela's do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, you do better. Do better. Right. Yeah, for sure. But this, this, what you do, I think, Jennifer, takes on a lot more importance these days just because there seems to be a lot more focus on the community. As my good friend Jillian Abbey, author of Perfectly Queer is the name of her book, and I had her on the show last earlier last year, and she's legit a bit of qua. <laughs> and I don't know, queer may be easier than that, but it. But there is so much hate focused on that community, and maybe specifically the trans community. Yeah. And I. So what you do is very important, and and so needed these days. I how many? I saw a stat, and I'm not going to remember it right now. The number of bills that were introduced just last year in all over the United States. Just this year. Okay. We're, we're recording this in the middle of February of 2024, and there have been over 500 bills oh my introduced God. in the first month and a half of the new year. And that it, it is, yeah, that's why I do this work. Um, it is... I, I really have a hard time wrapping my head around the why. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I, I tell people, and I, I approach parents and, and anyone where I'm having these conversations with, you know, starting out with, help me understand how you came to this belief, right? Um, oftentimes, you know, and again, it is that social conditioning. 
Right. And so I try to dismantle and, and pull apart as many of the, the, the false beliefs as I can. And we often get to a place where it's, you know, people will pull the religion card, to which I respond. <laughs> One of my daughters is a Lutheran pastor. And my son-in-law, her husband, is a Presbyterian pastor. And I have it on their good authority. And they went to one of the most prestigious seminaries in the country that God loves everyone, period, the end. And we're supposed to do the same. Yep. Yep. And, and so I'm pretty sure that... Go ahead. If, if, you're, if, you're, if your religion is leading you to hate anyone, you're doing it wrong. Amen to that. See, I don't know. No pun intended. Place. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a rainbow t-shirt? <laughs> Just a thought. I, okay, so let's let's try to educate here. Let's let's talk about some of the misinformation or or lies that are spread about the transgender community. Oftentimes you will hear somebody say they're mutilating the children. And that's not true. Nope. So gender affirming care, especially when it comes to children, there are different aspects of gender affirming care. Okay. There is social affirmation, medical, legal, and surgical, all separate things. Okay. Right. So when you are, when we talk about gender affirming care for a child, we're talking about social. We're talking about respecting the name that they have chosen, respecting the pronouns that they have told you that they are, right? So it is believe who your child tells you that they are in this moment. Because it could change, right? So you have to go with the flow. Yes. So no one is advocating for surgery for children, period. Zero. Nobody is doing right. that. When it comes to medical gender affirming care, right? We're talking about, first of all, puberty blockers. Puberty blockers have literally just put a pause on puberty. It's just a hold. Right. They have been used for decades on children who have precocious puberty. Children, you know, little girls who are getting their period at age seven, eight. Oh, dear. Eight. So it's really to, early. I've never heard the phrase precocious puberty. Yeah. So it's, it is literally just, wait, we're going to hold on for a minute because the rest of the body and the brain has to develop before Needs you're ready. Up. That, yep. right? So the, the safety record for these medications is very, very well established. Yeah. All we're saying is if you have a child who consistently and persistently has identified as transgender, puberty blockers give you that time. Okay, for their brains to develop. Is this the correct path? Then there is the possibility of shifting into surgical uh, gender affirming care when they are of age, when they are adults, right? 18 or over. 18 or older. And what the, rea the reason that it's really super important for the pu puberty blockers piece, and, the, and in between there, there is, is hormonal care. So if you are identifying as male, you may at age 14, 16, um, be given testosterone, or if you're a female, estrogen, so that you go through the correct gender uh, puberty. Because if you have, I'm going to stick with transgender female, if you have a transgender female, so assigned male at birth, 
and they go through a male, traditional, normal male puberty, they're going to mm-hmm. physically change, right? Their voice is going to change, the Adam's apple, the face structure is going to change. It is yep. much more difficult for someone who has gone through that puberty stage to transition and feel completely comfortable feeling as feminine as they want to be, right? So that the puberty blockers just put a pause on that development so that the person can continue to develop as the gender that they know themselves to be. Okay. So how long does that normally, how long is that pause? It it can be indefinite or? It could be, I mean, it's a few years you're going to want, again, socially, right? So if you have a child that's, a, uh, you know, hopefully, again, you're working very closely with psychologists, psychiatrists, medical doctors, right? Nobody is, you can't go and can't go to CVS and get this stuff. Um, Right. That's the other part I was going to bring up is that none of this happens without the parents being involved, A, if they're minor, and medical doctors and psychologists it's all very closely coordinated it this is. is not just on a whim you wake some kid wakes up in the morning and goes i'm a girl nope and it is and, so- and we run down to cvs and pick up some meds for it yeah it is a it is a very long very methodical very well uh supervised process Yes. So ideally, you're going to have be working with your gender affirming team before your child begins puberty. And there's many ways that they can determine whether that's happened or not. So you start puberty blockers and then you're watching to see like when when are the peers starting to go through puberty? When is the child emotionally ready to go through puberty? Um, Right. And then you'll switch to, you know, the, the hormonal therapy. And, and just so you know, so if you, have, if you have an adult who has gone through puberty, right, in their 20s, 30s, mm-hmm. 50s, if they start going through uh, gender-affirming hormone therapy, they're going to go through a second puberty for the puberty yeah. for that gender. And it, <laughs> you know what? Puberty's not fun. So how about we just No, <laughs> it's not fun for anybody. <laughs> Nobody. Yeah, I know my son. Yeah. He, at the time that he told me, again, he was 21, and he had just, I think right after he told me, he started on testosterone. Um, And it was years before he had top surgery, and another many years before he had his hysterectomy. He hasn't had any other kinds of surgery since then. But I mean, he he finally last year he finally got his name changed, yeah, and and his sex name. changed on his uh, on his driver's license. I was so happy for him. That's wonderful. So and it, I it's, it's all becoming real. It is, and I think it's it's so important for people to understand how affirming that is. And and when I tell yeah. parents, and I I don't focus as too much on the scary statistics because. They are terrifying, right? And so yeah. every parent is is afraid for their kid. But knowing that you have the ability to literally save a kid's life by doing some very literally. simple yeah. things. I I don't understand why anyone, you know, I, I I have a hard time with the cognitive dissonance of people who say, you know, we want to protect children. We want to do everything right for kids. We're worried about kids' mental health. 
but are advocating for laws and legislation and policy that puts kids in direct harm. I, yeah, yeah, it's hard for me to get my. You're head absolutely right. I yeah, that would drive me nuts if if I because I don't work in your situation every day. Um, I, I can't even imagine how hearing that day in and day out the cognitive dissonance I mean, would drive me nuts. So, if you were going to testify before a state legislature that was considering a bill. I don't know, to ban students from using a bathroom other than their assigned sex at birth. What would you say? Stop. <laughs> so, I mean. Succinct. Well, right to the point. Very nicely well, done. Just don't, right? Just don't. I, I mean, it, again, I think it, it, you have to break down what is the actual intent of such a law, right? It is right. to keep people safe. So looking at having to get people to understand that sexual predators are a whole different category than somebody's sex or gender, right? And so a female is no more at risk by having a transgender woman in the same restroom as she is of having a lesbian or a another person who has ill will period. Right. right. So the solution truly is if you want everyone to be safe, then have single sex, single person, all gender bathrooms, right? Let everyone have their own space. Yep. So we need to, to disconnect gender and gender identity from sexual behavior. They're very different things. And yeah. recognizing when you do start to dig into the statistics and you find that the person who is transgender is at much higher risk of harm, physical, verbal, emotional harm than any cisgender person walking on this earth. Yes. You start to see the folly of that type of legislation. Right? Yeah, again, absolutely. I go ahead. You, you cannot legislate people from existing. So you cannot. You try. Having, you can try, but having laws that deny people access, deny people rights, does not mean that those people are going to go away. It just means that you are making, you are choosing to make the world less safe. Yeah, I there was a I was just trying to find it and I can't find it now. Um, the Trevor Project is an amazing resource for queer people, especially queer kids. But they had a stat, uh, you probably have it, about how many transgender, just LGBTQI kids felt threatened on a daily basis, It's either believe, in their school. Yeah, Go I ahead. believe it's close to 60%. Um, yeah. And the, the really scary thing, and again, the reason I'm doing this work is only 40% of queer kids feel that their own home is safe and welcoming. So when That's, it yeah. yeah, so when people when we get into the conversation about, you know, do parents have the right to know? 
right? Should kids that was be something helpless? else I wanted to bring up? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's another another uh, state legislator that is trying to force teachers to out kids. And I did a whole training for the school resource school resource officers in my local district. And they had the same fear, like, right, if we, we've got to tell the kids, the parents, because we need, the parents need to know. And I, my response was, do you know, for certain that that parent is safe to know? Because if you are, if, if you have a child that says to you, you know, my parent is going to kill me, or my parent is going to throw me out. You need to take that seriously. That may be the actual truth. And so yeah. by letting that parent know, you have condemned that child to harm. Yeah, because it's not like, you know, a kid might say, oh, I wrecked the car, or I dinged the car, my dad's going to kill me. In this particular instance, they may be, that might not be hyperbole. No, no. It is, you know, a, a majority of the home, unhomed youth are queer and are out there because parents have rejected them because they are no longer welcome in their home yep because of who they are yeah it's so just- i recommend so i'll just you know when we talk about when people share you know that kids share the information and i think it's important for educators to take a couple of steps one is to say thank you for trusting me with this information right the second thing is who knows and who can't know Right? Right. So then you understand where that child is in their lives. And then the third is, what can I do to help you and support you right now? That child yeah. might need you to be the one that helps them tell their parent. They might be the one that, you know, they might need the resources of, you know, a, a homeless shelter so that they feel they can tell their parents and they can leave and be safe. They yeah. might need you to keep that a secret for now. Right. If there's a lot of different ways to approach it, but I think for me, even when working with parents, it, the, the child is the one that needs to be protected and cared for. Yeah. And everybody says that, but not everybody's doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'll tell you what, if you are a, a teacher or an educator of some sort and a child comes out to you, kudos to you because you must be doing something right. Yep. That they feel safe enough to do that with you. Yeah. So, ah, oh, Jennifer, I could go on and on and on. <laughs> I really could. I appreciate it. Because this is such an important topic, and it's obviously it's dear to my heart. I, I'm so glad that that my kids did not have, well, I don't know about all of them, but at least the one. I don't think he, he may have been questioning at the time, but it wasn't public knowledge. So any bullying he got at school was regular old bullying. Mm. Not. Don't even get None me started. Yeah. No, not about his. Not about it. Yeah. Not about that. So, but God bless you for what you do, Jennifer. I I think it's so great. And I'm so in awe of you. And I so appreciate you taking a few minutes to come on and talk to me about it. I'm I'm going to have you back for sure. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you again. I appreciate your time and I appreciate what you do and uh, keep fighting the good fight. Thanks so much.
Man, that was a great conversation with Jennifer Boudreau. Um, if you have a queer child, if you know somebody who has a queer child, or even if you just want to educate yourself, I highly recommend checking out Jennifer's website, parentwithcare.com, and just go in there and see what she does. Um, she does a fantastic job of helping parents understand what's going on with their child and even just helping regular people like you and me who may or may not have queer kids uh, to, to understand and, and be an ally. And I so appreciate that from her. It's just an amazing job. And that will do it for another episode of the Kindness Matters podcast. Thank you so much for the time that you have extended the gift of your time in taking a moment to listen to this episode. We will be back next week. But in the meantime, (laughs) be that person who roots for others, who tells a stranger that they look amazing and encourages others to believe in themselves and their dreams. You've been listening to the Kindness Matters Podcast. My name is Mike Rathbun. Have a fantastic week.